Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, and this is pureandsimplebible.com, the podcast. I'm very thankful to be in the middle of a conversation with a dear friend of mine, a mentor, um, a preacher who trained me. I was his apprentice. He was the master. And his name is Glenn Osborne. And uh, Brother Glenn joined me for a recording of uh, a sermon that he gave called Who is Our God? And it's a great expository from the book of Acts, chapter 17. We had a wonderful conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you. We've already had the first part. This is part two. And you need to come back next week for part three, by the way. But let's jump back into the conversation, shall we? But he begins with this statement honoring them, saying, hey, I I perceive that you're quite religious. And then he explains from a view that they would understand um, about this unknown God on this empty altar. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe just from a perspective of um, best practices for interacting with people who believe differently than you. Oh, I I agree. I think that the Holy Spirit and and the Bible records for us probably one of the best ways to approach uh, people who are uh, polytheistic or or idolatrous or or even agnostic in the sense that I don't know who God is, but I know there is a God. There's got to be something out there. And so I I agree with you. I think that that we have this wonderful sermon uh, given to us to to help us to talk to other people and say, look, we have a common experience here. Uh, you know that we have we have a, a an, an awareness of God. We just don't know who He is. And so I think that that this is a wonderful example that's provided for us by the by the scriptures uh, to help us to to connect with other people of foreign, foreign ideas. I mean, like you said, there's so many people in the world, all over the world, that uh, either are uh, openly or lead outwardly religious in some sense and uh, seeking to placate some God that either, that they either know or don't know. Uh, it's atheism is kind of interesting. It's where people hate a God that they don't believe in. But anyway, <laughs> that's kind of different, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but sure. uh, but you're right. This gives us an opportunity to share, and, and the Holy Spirit just is wonderful. And the, and God, whenever he, he records for us this book, it just put Paul in the proper time and proper place for a wonderful, most applicable sermon. Let me ask you one more question before sure. we go to verse 24, where he starts, I guess, laying out theological points about God. He praises them for being very religious. I've heard this before, and I'm sure others have as well. Uh, Some people don't like that word, religious, and they'll say something like, well, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. Religion is about creeds and rules and formality, but I'm just spiritual because I'm I'm wanting to, you know, connect and and have a relationship. And there's, there's a kind of a distinction that's made. And I'm curious how you respond to that distinction. Okay. Well, there's there's a lot of people who consider themselves to be spiritual in some sense, but uh, not doctrinally uh, committed to a certain belief or about God. And, 
And they think that that's probably uh, the social thing to do, to be nice and to be, it's very much like the Athenians, you know, to the unknown God. <laughs> they want to cover all their bases, so to speak. Sure. But, but I consider even atheism to believe, to be a religious belief system. They believe there is no God. Uh, they haven't proven there's no God. They've not been everywhere off of the planet even yet. Uh, so the point is, is it's, it's beliefs about God and everybody has personal beliefs about God. And, and maybe they even have some biases as to why they want to believe in this God or that God. Maybe this one doesn't call call for their moral accountability and still other gods are very demanding and very, uh, you know, uh, humiliating to people. And so they don't want to believe in that one or whatever. Uh, but we have to look at the truth of spirituality. But yeah, spirituality is 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 there. I think in all of us, uh, we just have to ask what's most reasonable and and uh, try to find out. You know, does God have something to say to us? Did He try to communicate to us? And so, in being interested in in the God who made everything, the question of why He made us and why we're here and where we're going is is important. Amen. I found that people that are wanting to excuse um, not being religious and yet they're wanting to be spiritual oftentimes uh, take a very narrow view of what it means to be religious. And, you know, I think about Mm -hmm. James chapter one where it says pure and undefiled religion is this to remember widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself undefiled from the world. And so there is, I feel like they're looking at religion as though it's only what hypocrites do, right? And spirituality is what like uh, authentic people do. And um, I I think maybe they misunderstand what what the word is. Well, and and there are some people in this world who believe that religion is made to oppress other people and control them. And it's a, it's a power thing. And, and people have always used religion to oppress other groups and that's not's not true people sometimes just want to know they want to understand uh the reason for life and and yeah. why god made us so. well brother we are in the sermon proper now um mm-hmm. so paul kind of had an introduction he first praises them for being religious and it, he's trying to kind of build this foundation of trust and safety. He expresses that uh, there's this altar to an unknown God, and he wants to introduce that unknown God to them. Um, Verse 24, what's the first thing he does to explain this unknown God? Uh, He does. He makes an overarching statement about the true God. He says, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So his his concept of God is far more uh, uh, great, far greater than their version of, of, of polytheism where you have a God for the night and a God for the moon and God for the stars and God for water and God for this, that, and the other, all these little gods. He said, no, 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 no. The God that I'm declaring unto you is a God of everything, <laughs> heaven and earth. Uh, and so he is the great God of, 
of of everything. And it, and if so, then he you can't put him in a box. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. So he takes this great God. He says he creates heaven and earth, as the Bible says in Genesis 1.1. And to the living God, he, he says he's not a dead God or God that's covered with gold. He made everything, heaven and earth and seas and all things, Acts 14, verse 15. And uh, even in Revelation 14, verse 7, it says, he made heaven and earth and the sea and fountains of waters. So he's he made everything that you've experienced in your world, night and day and everything, all the heavens, all everything. And uh, this was kind of new to them, to have a, a God who is Lord of everything, heaven and earth. Yeah. Um, and and so he just begins to explain that to them. Our our God is is above belongs in the, over heaven and the highest heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Deuteronomy ten fourteen. So uh, this was something that they were amazed at, and that Paul was explaining to them. There's a God. There's a super God, if you will, that's above all of these little. Uh, idols that are around you. Um, and so that was, that was, that was kind of awestruck to, uh, to the, his audience. Oh, he, he, do you know that God? Uh, so he, you know, he, he was saying he was personal too, which was right. interesting. Right. I, you know, this is, I never can remember. I need to write down if I've said things on my podcast before or else they're just reruns again and again. Um, but I remember talking about this recently, and I think maybe you and I talked about it after services when you gave this as a sermon. I don't know uh-huh. if I said it on my podcast or not. But um, again, here's a modern application for you. Um, in Southeast Asia, at least where we lived in Cambodia, you know, there was just spirits everywhere. Spirits, 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 every, all these spirits. And I was talking to uh, someone when we were traveling there. And this person was part of a denomination and there for um, their group. But we had lunch together and and we were talking and and I really enjoyed his perspective on how to differentiate God from the spirits. And he uh, referenced Hebrews chapter 12, verse nine. And it says there, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of all spirits and live? And his point was Mm -hmm. kind of like how you described it as the super God, finding ways to differentiate God from just what people view as the spiritual realm or, you know, this uh, supernatural realm. He's the father of all spirits. And that phrase, uh, God is the father of spirits. It is a very comforting phrase mm-hmm. to somebody who who is Buddhist or uh, animist or spiritual, but maybe they they, they have no um, foundation of what the Godhead is, and uh, so that I feel like is a great connection verse for what Paul's saying here in verse twenty four. God is He made the world, everything in it. He's the God of all spirits, right. and uh, yes, and and you're you're absolutely right because they were. You know the the spiritual realm to them was fascinating and and many faceted and it it's it's just amazing that Paul comes along and says no there's a there's a God above all saints seen and unseen heavens and earth and you know everything and and they this idea of a of an overarching God above everything 
is it was greater even than the than the Athenian Zeus. You know, he was bigger than all that. Right. So that was that was something that they were, um, I think, going to find that the size of Paul's God. <laughs> and then as he continues his sermon, he, you know, he even he even tells them, no, he doesn't dwell in temples made by hand or by, by men, uh, temples made with hands, verse 24 and 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So he just continues on just showing the, the exceeding greatness of, of the true God to them and hopefully bringing about some awareness that Paul was bringing to them, not another, not just another deity, but the greatest, the, the God of all things. And he wasn't something dwelt, uh, served by human hands. Let me ask you a question. So sure. in this sermon, uh, just to review the main points that, that you've brought out so far is just Paul's word. Number one, God made the world and everything in it. Number two, he's Lord of heaven and earth. And then you've just mentioned number three, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And number four, he's not worshipped with men's hands. Right. I guess I'm thinking about, um, you know, what, what would be some questions that people might ask? And I'm trying to embody those questions. But if God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, why did he command people to make him a tabernacle? And then, you know, why did David get the the... Uh, supplies and why did Solomon build a temple and why did they spend, you know, what is it like 60 years building Herod's temple? Like it seems that if God didn't need any of this, then, then he wouldn't have, you know, written a law about it in the old Testament. So is Paul contradicting old Testament scripture in this sermon or is, am I missing something? No, no. I think um, it, it's amazing where, you have the 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 temples that that they that they had and and even the place where they met God in tabernacle in the wilderness, um, but we find in the book of Hebrews uh, that these things are representative of the true tabernacle in heaven where God dwells and where uh, sin is actually atoned and not by the blood of animals, but by Jesus Christ offering his own sacrifice on behalf of men as a sin sacrifice. I think, I think it was basically not true idolatry where there's, there's power in, a, uh, in an actual uh, golden altar or, or things like that in some sense, but that these symbols represented uh, holiness and, and exempt... Uh, had parts in explaining the plan of salvation to man. They were, they were beautiful pictures and the book of the new Testament book of Hebrews goes into a lot of explanation about why the sacrificial system was indeed set up to begin with and how Jesus became the lamb of God. And so there's a lot of beautiful imagery there without those images, um, taking upon themselves, um, the, nature of an idol. Right, right. Uh, so, and that, that applies to the next part too, the, the, in Acts 17 where it says, and he's not worshiped with men's hands. Somebody might say, well, then what's the point of worshiping him? 
Uh-huh. And it's similar, mm-hmm. right? It's not so much about God needs it right. as much as it is there's a, a blessing and, and, and uh, opportunities for edification and growth and understanding when we worship. There's a big mindset difference between what we do with our worship and what idolatrous worship is. Right, right. And uh, I think that that's, that's something that's really evident uh, as Paul continues his sermon here by, by saying he doesn't, he doesn't need your food, he doesn't need... Whenever we really examine in the New Testament age uh, why we worship the way we do, uh, yes, it, by doing it in a certain way, by worshiping God in spirit and truth, uh, I mean, the very few, last few words of the book of Revelation is worship God. So that whenever we worship God, we, we give him the positions, we give him the, the respect, we give him the acknowledgement of his righteousness, of his under, understanding of his holiness. And uh, we need to be reminded of those things. Whenever we praise God, we thank him from our perspective to God. So it's not really that God is an egotistical God who just loves to be praised by men. It's that we need to be reminded so that we don't forget of the good things of God and we don't forget his position in our life. So you might say in a roundabout way, God created worship so that man wouldn't forget what he needs in order to have a good relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's mostly for our benefit. (laughs) That may sound strange, kind of of, uh, a dichotomy that where where God designs worship for him, but it's for our benefit. <laughs> well, I feel, uh, you know, the value of that just in weekly communion, because, you know, you can read in the Old Testament about these people, and they would mumble and grumble and complain and murmur, and then they would be punished, and it wouldn't be, it seems like the next chapter they're complaining again, because they're forgetful people, and I know I'm forgetful too. So I guess just as a personal anecdote, I love having communion every week because it gives me that opportunity to meditate and reflect on what Jesus did. So yeah, it's the worship is maybe God. Um, I, I'm focusing it towards God, but it's definitely one where I know I'm receiving so much treasure and benefit oh, from doing it. Exactly, exactly. And don't you, don't you? Uh, kind of believe that the communion, especially to the Corinthians, such a divided church. He, he in verse two, you have division among you, and in part I believe it. You know, and he goes on talking about their divisions all through the book, and then he gets and he reestablishes the the Lord's Supper in chapter eleven and chapter ten and eleven. He tells them this is a picture of unity. You know, the beautiful. We who are many are all one, for we all partake of one loaf. And, and one cup, and he he talks about this using our worship of God to to make us understand unity and love mm-hmm. and fellowship. So it's it's really beautiful how worship it has, if you will, it's a double edged or or double hammer, uh, you know, for God's glory and also for our instruction. <laughs> yes. Now, in the point about him not being worshipped with men's hands. Um, you have a scripture. It's 
Psalm 50, verse 12. And, and there God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. And people uh, who haven't heard the sermon or weren't there, they don't get to see the image that you have associated with this verse, but it's a bunch of food. Uh, I mean, just trays and trays of food set out before um, an idol. And mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking, this would be more food than we could have at a Sunday lunch, right? Yeah, like th- there's right. just baskets of food here that's going to be left to this piece of rock or piece of uh, whatever material makes this idol. And yet God doesn't want that or need that. What's no. that about? Well, I think that's just the shortcoming uh, of man. They they inscribe to the idol their needs and, uh, and it also makes a weak God, you know, the God who is dependent upon food. And so Paul had to explain to them, I don't need your food. You know, I really don't need that. If I were hungry, I, I would not tell you. And so he says, who gives breath and who spreads for God doesn't need food. He, he's not served with human hands. So God is not dependent for his existence or anything. Uh, on behalf of man, but yet man is dependent upon things. And so he sees these things as symbol, symbolically something God needs from them, I guess. Yeah. So uh, he, he says God made man and therefore, yes, uh, but I don't need your food and I don't need a house and, and those kinds of things. So Paul is basically attacking the basis for idolatry in that, this process where man put, puts on to an idol uh, his needs and, and tries to placate the idol with things that he himself needs. And Paul says, uh, the true God is not like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to cut it off right there. And I want you to come back next week for the finale of this mini series on Who is Our God? Thank you, Brother Glenn. I'm enjoying the conversation. I hope others are as well. And you need to come back next week to hear the last part of it. So until then, you can go to the website and check out all of the materials that are free to download and use as you study the Bible yourself and with others. And until next time, always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, this room's in some trouble.